Well, it's a joy, even if it's a little unexpected, for me to be here this morning. Uh, our, our pastor, Richard, is a little under the weather, and uh, we pray he'll be back next week. But uh, he sends his uh, apologies, and uh, let's just pray and, uh, uh, that God would heal him and get him back uh, on his feet. The scriptures uh, for this morning's message is taken from the 14th chapter of the book of Acts, and we're going to begin reading with verse 19. Acts chapter 14, and beginning with verse 19. This uh, passage uh, comes toward the very end of Paul's first missionary journey. It said, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, And won the crowd over. And they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking that he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back to the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. There they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. One of the things that uh, I enjoy doing as I've gotten a little older is contacting some of my old uh, high school friends and kind of find out a little bit about their lives and what they're doing. And I met recently with a man who was a, a longtime friend that I had not seen in many, many years. I knew him to be a professing Christian, a regular church goer, and an overall very nice person. But eventually this conversation got around to how he was doing in the Christian faith. And uh, so I asked him how he was doing spiritually. And I was disappointed to uh, hear him say that he had joined uh, a cult that basically denies uh, every major doctrine of evangelical Christianity. And of course, we know that there have been many, many others who have done the same. You know, you could look at a lot of the roles, membership roles of many churches today, and there would, you would see that many of them are missing in action. They're nowhere to be found. And I believe that all of this points us to a very an alarming fact and an issue in Christianity that we need to face. And that is simply that we are often not grounded in the faith that we profess. So I have entitled the message today, Grounded in the Faith. And I want us to look at the context of this passage and see how it addresses our need this morning. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, again near the end of their first missionary journey, and by any standards, it had been a tremendous success. Everywhere that Paul and Barnabas had gone, people believed they were converted and they came to faith in Jesus Christ. But in the towns of Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, 
a serious problem develops. A group of leaders in, that, in the town of Lystra rise up against Paul. They stone him and leave him for dead. And it appears from the text that Paul must have had some kind of miraculous healing. For when the apostles or their disciples gathered around him, he got up and continued his journey to Derby, and there made many disciples. And then the journey was over, and they're ready to return home. But listen to what it says. They returned to Lystra, to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. In other words, rather than finding some other way home, some safer route, Paul and Barnabas go right back through Lystra and Iconium where Paul was stoned and left for dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm scratching my head a little bit here because I want to know, Paul, why in the world would you do something like that? Why would you expose yourself to that kind of danger? And I believe that the answer is quite evident. That Paul and Barnabas were committed. Not just to leading these people to the Lord and establishing the church. They were there to ground them in the faith. And to strengthen the church that they had planted. For you see, I believe that Paul understood something about the Christian faith. That is often overlooked. And that is that there is a big difference between the birth of faith in the heart and the grounding of that faith in a life. And so I want to ask this morning, what are the essential ingredients if we are going to have a life that is grounded in the faith? And the first thing I believe is this. We are grounded in the faith by the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And this is so clear, not only in this passage, but throughout the Bible. But here we says in verse 21 that they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. You see, Paul and Barnabas understood that it is through the teaching and preaching of the Word of God that would bring strength and stability to these new churches. He understood that the church would be facing all kinds of temptations to compromise, to water down the gospel, to adopt the values and priorities of this world. So Paul literally gave his life to the preaching and teaching of God's word because he knew that without it, the church would never be able to survive. And I want to ask us a question today. Are we aware that the word of God is God's gift to us? To ground us, to strengthen us, to nourish us, and to feed our souls? Do we value it? Do we read it? Do we make it a part of the way that we think and live? 
Listen to the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. And when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now I believe that there are at least two ways that the word of God becomes such a stabilizing force in our lives. Two ways. The first is that the word of God grounds us in the truth. Now, I want to tell you something that you may already know. But the greatest friend that you will ever have in the world is the one who will tell you the truth. It's not necessarily the person who likes you the best or necessarily speaks well of you or tells you what you want to hear. Your greatest friend is one who will be honest with you And tell you what you need to hear. Many of you, I want to illustrate this. Many of you are aware that we have a grandson who came down with leukemia a couple of years ago. He was taken to the doctor uh, with certain uh, issues. And after a number of tests, uh, the doctors uh, came to us with the news that no parents or grandparents want to hear And that is, uh, Levi has cancer. I know many of you have faced the same thing in a doctor's office. And immediately, we were thrown into shock. What are we going to do? What are our options? But let's suppose that the doctors, after discovering this condition, said something like this. You know, we don't want to upset this family. News like this will bring hardships that are going to be difficult for them. So why don't we just ignore the report, discharge the patient, and hope everything goes away? Well, I want to... We're all encouraged today in our family that Levi is doing much better. But Levi is doing better, and his healing was possible Only because we faced the truth. I love the prayer of Jesus in John 17. It's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And there he's praying for you and me. He's praying for those who would come after him. That they would be one as he was one with the Father. And this is the prayer that he offers for is the present church and the church of all ages. Sanctify them by the truth. For your word is truth. Now I have said many times. I probably have said it here. That the only reason that I care anything at all about the Christian faith. Is not because it makes me feel good. Not because it gives me good advice, which it certainly does. But the only reason that I stand before you today and care anything at all about following Christ 
is that I am utterly convinced that this book is true. All of it is true, not just the parts that I like to read. And I know that many of you, as well as I, pray for our country when it seems that right is called wrong and wrong is called right. And we can see the impact on our country today. For you they see, today as a nation, we are adrift on a sea of relativity. Where there is your truth and there is my truth, but there is no such thing as the truth. Now I issue a word of warning here. Because I understand that the word of God itself can turn us into legalists. And this is important for us to see. Because we can know the Bible from cover to cover. And it never transform us into the image of Christ. Jesus warned about this. He said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you're going to have eternal life. But it is they that speak of me. So you see, the word of God must do more than just give us truth. What does it do? Secondly, God's word leads us to a deeper experience of God's grace. As God's word teaches us the truth about who God is, it reveals him to to be a God of infinite grace who reaches down into the muck and the mire of our lives and calls us to a deeper experience of his grace. And the Psalms are so full of this. I think that's why we love them so much. Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the streams of water. So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with my God? And then Psalm 27. One thing, one thing I ask from the Lord, and this is what I seek after, that I may dwell in the courts of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. See, folks, these are not just scriptures that point us to truth alone, but thoughts that carry the soul into the presence of God and fill us with joy and delight. So we're grounded in faith by the Word of God. That's the first thing. But there's another thing that I want to bring to your attention. And that is that we are grounded in our faith by learning how to properly respond to suffering and hardships. Look at verse 22. 
They returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You know, one of the things that uh, draws me so much to the word of God is its authenticity. And by that, I mean that the Bible portrays life as it really is. Not just like I want it to be or wish it to be. I have often seen preachers that will extend promises that have no basis in the word of God. And they will say, bring me your money and believe and you will have your miracle. Whatever it is, just name it. And claim it. Health and wealth and success. A spouse. A new career. A house. A particular kind of car. Whatever it is. Just say it. Claim it. Name it. Claim it. And it can be yours. What's going to happen? Like it's happened to so many. When they send in the money. And yet they never get the miracle that they've asked for. The hurting people that are are desperate for answers will do anything sometimes for relief. And what happens? They don't get their miracle and their faith begins to crumble. Now the truth is certainly that God's word does tell us that he blesses us above and beyond all that we could ask or think. That he grants us answers to our prayers. That he brings healing to our souls. That he satisfies us with every good thing. James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. For for those of us who understand the deep things of God, we know that there's another side to the story. The psalmist said, It was good for me that I was afflicted. Not just it helped me. Not just I was able to get over it or endure it. The psalmist says it was good for me that I was afflicted. Why? He tells us that I could learn your statutes. So understand what he's saying here. He says that it is good For a particular reason, so that I can learn your statutes, because by affliction I become more grounded in the faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that outweighs them all. And I want us to pay close attention to that word achieving in this verse it's a very powerful Greek word it means to accomplish to finish to bring something about and what it is saying here is the trials in our lives when we look at them through the eyes of faith they have a mission they are working bringing about something that we could not get otherwise it's called An eternal weight of glory. Far from being something 
that is going to bring any permanent damage. This affliction is to prepare us to receive an eternal reward. It is literally preparing us for eternity. So you see that the message of the Christian faith is not that we will never suffer. But it's that you'll never suffer without purpose. That you will never suffer outside God's divine providence, guidance, and protection. Every trial that he sends to your life and to my life is intended to grow the roots of your faith deeper. Often, you know, I get um, encouraged when I listen uh, to Christians who share their faith journey. And so many times it goes something like this. You know, I was doing okay in life, kind of cruising along. My faith was okay. It was on and off and on and off till something happened. And that happening is often some crisis, some period of adversity. And it seems that in the midst of that painful experience, life begins to change and the faith begins to grow deeper and deeper. You see, suffering is God's means to ground you and to ground me in the faith. Now, I want to close this morning by asking a question that maybe some of you are asking. You may be saying something like this. You know, Stan, this is uh, something that I want for my life. I want my spiritual roots to grow deep. I not only want to know the Word of God, I want to know the God of the Word. Can you give me something that would encourage me in this endeavor? To have my faith well-grounded? Well, here's the good news. It's all a work of the Holy Spirit. It comes just like all the other graces in the Christian life. As we rest in Him, as we lean upon His promises, and never attempt to do any of this in our own strength. For beloved, this is something we can't circumvent. There's no shortcuts that can lead us to the spiritual promised land. And so we must like let the Holy Spirit take control. He wants servants that are grounded and rooted in the faith and not blown aside by every wind of doctrine. So what does he do? He takes the word of God and makes it live. He speaks into your life. He encourages you and draws you closer into a relationship with Him. And then the Holy Spirit walks with you and comforts you in every trial and adversity. This is what the Holy Spirit does when we turn the helm over to Him. And we find that our spiritual roots grow deeper and deeper in the faith. Join me in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we thank you 
for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and for the word of God that brings the good news of salvation and that grounds us in the faith and prepares us for a life of service. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our next hymn is number 499, He Leadeth Me. Please stand.